0: Hello, you're listening to TAL Radio, part by Touch Life Foundation. Welcome to Stories of Entrepreneurship with me, Ajay Sushmita. With us today is managing partner of Makers Asylum, Rita Srivatsava Chapra. Makers Asylum has made 1 million face shields in just 49 days in 2020. And they have been relentlessly working on creating better ways, better gear to beat COVID-19. Let's talk with her and get to know about Makers Asylum and what all they have under M19 initiative. Hey, Richa. First of all, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. And uh, thank you so much for taking your time. So how do you introduce Makers Asylum to today's year?
1: Uh, Hi, Sushmita. Hi, thank you so much for having me um, join today. Uh, Really excited to be here. So just to uh, give you a quick introduction about Makers Asylum, we are a community makerspace. Uh, By that I mean that we do have a lot of uh, exciting equipment like 3D printers, laser cutters, shop, metal shop, virtual reality gear, electronics, robotics, all sort of put together in one space, which is open for anyone to come and access. So it's like an open community lab. So anybody like you, me, children, retired individuals, all kinds of people from different disciplines can come and access the space. They can become members, they can use the tools and they can go from ideation to creation very quickly because the space sort of enables you to uh, really look at, uh, you know, uh, going from ideation to prototyping to making things very quickly because of access to these spaces and tools so that's what we pretty much do as a space but over the years we've sort of focused a lot of our work on not only just building the space and the community of people who come and access the space but also teaching a lot of people how to use these tools so that they can actually go from you know sort of thinking about something to actually making it very quickly
0: That is so cool. You know, when uh, these all equipments are very hard, you know, to access for any of the students or anyone who is working on them and uh, getting access to them that easily is such a cool opportunity. So what's the inspiration behind starting Maker's Asylum? Because it is one of its kind in India and something which we have never seen before. So what was the inspiration behind that?
1: So actually uh, Maker's Asylum uh, was founded by my partner, uh, Bebhaav. Uh, who back in 2013 actually had come down uh, from Boston on an assignment with his previous startups he used to work with. Uh, This place called Eye they were into uh, virtual reality based eye diagnostic devices. So uh, they were expanding in India and he was sent on a sort of as a project lead over here to, you know, work on the product for rural areas and develop it for more people so they could, you know, get an eye diagnostic test using just a phone Uh, in India at the time. And because he was working on a hardware product. Uh, especially which was around virtual reality. Uh, There were no spaces like this back in the day where you could actually go and, you know, work on your design, iterate the design, improvise your product by yourself and things like that. So in the process of sort of, you know, his personal need during that time, he chanced upon and because he had a lot of access to such kind of spaces at MIT Media Labs where the startup was based out of and stuff like that so uh, he thought that it could be really exciting to sort of have something like that in India at that time when there was nobody doing that and it sort of paved way to you know sort of a personal need and then became a community space and uh, everybody started coming in and uh, over the years like I said, like a lot of community of makers and, you know, tinkerers and all kinds of people have really loved the space and, you know, really created very special memories for them, for their products. But at the same time, just it was more from a personal perspective that he started back in the day.
0: Wow, that's such a cool beginning, you know, to imagine something like that and to start it in India and, uh, you know, see it flourishing like that and people coming over and making memories. It, it would be such an awesome feeling. So in times of COVID-19, Makers Asylum has stepped up and done so many incredible things. So what pushed you to do the Million Mass Initiative?
1: Um, So uh, from the ethos of what Makers Asylum does, we've always been, you know, focused around sort of working with the community for the community so most of the projects that you see that have happened at this space over the years as well have always had the element of social impact uh the element of social entrepreneurship the element of always sort of you know creating impact in certain kind of ways and we've always had that very clear focus that, you know, the, the space is a community space, so it contributes to, you know, those things on priority. So when uh, India went into lockdown last year, in March 2020, um, the first thing that came to our mind, especially Webav I and one of our teammates, was that, you know, instead of going back home, why don't we quarantine at our space? And because we had access to so many tools, it could be just more exciting to be here because there was nothing to do at home. Uh, so that's how we sort of started, you know, we quarantined at the space when everything was shut. And uh, because we've been part of the larger open source community globally, a lot of work was already happening around open, you know, uh, healthcare devices and things like that in that space. So we were all obviously, you know, researching about that, learning about that. But the first thing that came to our mind and which was easy to do because we had access to the materials and the equipment to sort of, you know, do it was a face shield. So we started working on this particular face shield design and, um, at that time we honestly did not know how grave the situation is you know because india was not a ppe manufacturer at that time right and um, we started getting a lot of lot of requests of you know uh, from hospitals doctors nurses healthcare workers and everyone saying that hey uh, you know we need these can you make it for us can you you know make more for us so uh, that's when we realized that you know what we've chanced upon and what we're doing is actually going to make a lot of difference and um, put a very small target of about 1000 shields when we started because we were just three of us who were, you know, in the lab sort of, you know, working towards it. So we really did not think that we could make more than 1000. But uh, given that India is a uh, population of 1.3 billion people, 1000 is is like no number really in front no. yes, of it, exactly. right? So that's when we thought that, you know, how can we really think differently about this situation? Because you could not move, there was a supply chain issue, there was a lot of problems, obviously, in terms of movement of materials and things like that. So... uh, Given the nature of our work and we've always been big believers of open innovation and open sourcing and sharing of knowledge and ideas, uh, we decided to open source our design and activate more maker spaces and community groups across the country uh, by sharing these digitally so that they could make locally using local materials available to them. So in about a span of 49 days, we were able to activate 42 cities, towns and villages. There were people from all across India, North, South, East and West. There were filmmakers in Guwahati that were making these. There were children in Gujarat that were making these. There were so many people who were making these. And we were able to make 1 million face shields in 49 days, given that we were able to do it by a decentralized and open source manner. And that was, I think, very powerful because... Uh, While we could not obviously sit and do this by ourselves, as a community, as a larger group of people who could share ideas and knowledge and do this with agility, it was really, I think, uh, one of the most powerful sort of experiences that I would at least have in my life.
0: Exactly. like. The thought itself is very, you know, powerful that different people throughout the country coming across and doing a single project for all the, you know, when the situation was needed and the idea itself is very different. You know, there's been very scarce people who actually put their prototype out and who actually open sources, open knowledge and share their prototypes to, you know, some other person to make it. And the whole idea is such a brilliant one. And I'm sure, as you said, that it is one of your most beautiful and powerful experiences in your life. So what did you learn from it? I think what we definitely learned
1: from it is that when you empower people with knowledge and, uh, you know, when there's an environment of openly sharing things Mm -hmm. and have a common goal towards you are working you can do much more than just, you know, making these and, you know, sort of contributing from a level of impact on the ground for frontline workers. But more than that, you're actually teaching people, you're sharing skills, you're empowering them to take ownership of a situation and convert a crisis into an opportunity and really be, you know, a positive impact to the community around you. And I think that is definitely something that stays with me because it's Uh, What happens in situations like these where, you know, everyone is in a crisis that most people do turn to, you know, uh, becoming depressed about it, becoming uh, demotivated about life in general. But, you know, when you have a purpose of, you know, taking ownership and sort of solving problems Mm -hmm. and contributing, I think uh, that feeling, because I think during our entire last year, we were literally, you know, making these and we were doing, you know, working with all these groups across the country. Honestly, we did not have a lot of money. We did not um, have monetary support because, you know, we were also paying our employees. There was a lot going on like financially as well. But I think what was really exciting about the whole situation is that, that all of us were so motivated. We were much more motivated than we were on normal days to actually really, because it was a personal ownership to problem solving at such a large scale. that that satisfaction of you know really contributing and seeing that impact happening in front of your Mm -hmm. eyes is uh, completely really changes the way that you feel in the time of crisis
0: yeah exactly and that is such you know empowering thing to do you know you've been empowering communities like you said it it just does not end with this it starts with this with what you're doing you know we've actually taught people to take ownership of it and the joy you feel by actually doing something for the community participating in that and taking ownership of the crisis is such a huge thing and to learn it from here in in the middle of such crisis is so good and i cannot literally explain it in words so what exactly is makers asylum currently working under m19 initiative
1: Uh, So over the year while of course we started with the face shield project last year we also did a bunch of other things as part of the initiative where we created active respirators for ICUs and it's more like a Reusable, sustainable PP device with, uh, you know, active electronics and stuff like that. So we made those. We made uh, face shields for babies, which still are going out because a lot of new mothers are buying them because WHO recommends um, a lot of younger kids not to wear fa- uh, masks because it's sort of mm. not the best. So these face shields are actually uh, a great substitute for them. And over, we I don't know, we've sent about over. 100,000 or more to over 300 cities now, and still mothers oh. are buying it. Uh, we also made a superhero face shields for teenagers so that they could, you know, sort of adapt to it from a behavioral perspective because it's really uh, sad for them because they don't, you know, nobody's able to go to school. Uh, there's nothing exciting, and, you know, they still have to wear protection. So, how do you sort of, you know, motivate them yeah, to do that? Yeah stuff like that and then we also made rebreathers for senior citizens which are like more comfortable breathing masks with active flow of air inside the mask and stuff like that but in december last year we started also working on and researching on oxygen concentrators because um like I said, we, we are part of the larger open source community and a lot of work was going on in the area of understanding oxygen issues. And last year, it was indicative that there could be one in developing nations, especially like India, where there could be an oxygen problem. And we were researching on that in December with another open source group that had created oxygen concentrators in the United States. Uh, So while we were doing the research, of course, um, nothing, you know, we did not really have indication in India that, you know, problem like this could arise. So at that time, we sort of left that conversation and moved on with other things. Uh, But of course, a couple of weeks back, uh, the oxygen problem was a big critical challenge that uh, came up in India. And uh, that's when we reignited the project again, and we started working on um, developing uh, open source oxygen concentrators in India uh, with using locally available materials uh, and made with locally available parts. So just using the same principles of open sourcing and a distributed manufacturing and, um, you know, sharing ideas and knowledge. Uh, we started, we restarted the M19 initiative, but with the focus of oxygen concentrators. At the same time, we were learning how to make these using locally available parts. So sort of how do you source these? What is available? What is not available in India? uh, What are the effects of humidity temperature on these concentrators? uh, Where are they used? Why do you need to use them? All kinds of research that went into it. So we started literally about four weeks back and we were able to actually Already in the last three weeks, we have made about 20 advanced prototypes in different parts of the country uh, using locally available materials. The Mm -hmm. one at Makers Asylum in Goa is going for certification in the next one or two days. We have it up and ready and it's all uh, working pretty well. We have one in Bangalore that is going for certification. But like I said, the 20 prototypes that are already made across India in the last three weeks We've activated over 150 labs in 17 states with over 600 people who've been contributing to this larger open communication channel where we've been discussing what works, what doesn't work, how do you make it, what do you use, what do you not use. So it's been a very collective effort of not only just maker spaces, individuals, but also industries, small and large manufacturing industry, uh, university labs, academia. So it's a mix, the M19. So we call this the M19 collective. So it's a mixture of an it's basically an interdisciplinary group of people from across the country really contributing uh, and learning in real time while sharing knowledge and at the same time sort of tweaking uh, making hacks jugars to really make things work but at the same time really keeping check of the output and how they can really use this for uh, the frontline workers so in the last four weeks like i said we've already done a lot and now we're going into certification and hopefully in the next uh, couple of weeks, we are hoping uh, to manufacture at least uh, over 2,900 units. uh, So about 100 units per state using a distributed and a decentralized way of manufacturing using these labs uh, across the country and via open sourcing the
0: design. Wow. I mean, that is incredible what is going on. And you know, in just amount of like four weeks, you've done so much and 20 prototypes is so huge. And as you said, it's a lot of effort and lots of learning and, and you know, treading into a new territory and learning everything about that. And when especially uh, there are lives online and you need to respond quickly. So what exactly are the challenges are you facing right now while making these prototypes or working on M19 initiatives or something? So definitely
1: the whole thought process of not having, you know, these uh, concentratives are never made in India. So obviously for us to just start from scratch, again, to understand the science behind it, what goes into it, because it's, it's not a simple device like a face shield, right, which is an easy primary yes. device. It's a complicated device. So how do you sort of break it down? We also had to learn a lot in the process to really understand the science behind it, what works, the pressure systems, the PSA technology how zeolites work, how the compressor, you know, sort of pushes out the pressure and, you know, how the outputs are measured and things like that. So we literally have been learning from scratch. And I think I have to definitely acknowledge that everybody from across the world, in fact, has been contributing to the collective. It's not only just us in India and the other folks, um, the labs in India. But there's a lot of uh, exciting things that are happening. For example, we have the University of Cambridge Institute of Manufacturing who's looking into the QA, QC process. So basically the quality assurance and quality check process where how do you sort of really uh, establish that anything that is made across in your home or your garage is qualified to sort of, you know, go on ground to the hospital. So University of Cambridge is doing that. We have uh, the Fab Foundation, which is the arm of MIT in the United States, also working with us on various technical pieces in the US. Uh, We are also working with the EU Resources Efficiency Initiative where uh, the EU is also bringing in their expertise and, you know, um, and support in terms of sort of really helping these labs develop their skills and their knowledge to do more with it. Because what we're actually doing is that while of course, we're learning how to make these, we're learning how to sort of, you know, put that process in place. But mm-hmm. at the same time, we're also teaching people how to do this, right? Everyone's learning yeah. in the process. So there's, Two ways that we're looking at this whole project, we're not only looking at, you know, donating them to the frontline workers, because that's not the end of it, right? Because there are hundreds and thousands of oxygen concentrators in India that are coming in from China, from the United States and everywhere else. But what is happening to them, they're coming down, they're breaking down pretty quickly because they can't withstand a lot of the uh, local environment and temperature of India. The humidity spoils a lot of these things. So they come here, they get bad. Now, who's going to fix it? Nobody knows how to fix them, right? So this entire collective, while it's learning how to make, can also fix these things, can also be technical support on the ground they can do many more things apart from oxygen concentrators because now you understand different parts of the healthcare ecosystem where you can also you know support from different uh, perspective we are working on things like flow meters there are industrial oxygen cylinders which don't have flow meters that means to say that they're not usable on patients because you can't read the readings of an oxygen coming out of it so uh, we've designed something which is 3D printed that can be you know easily printed and put onto the cylinders and they can you know use the cylinder so there are different different things that are happening out of this right it's not just one yeah. piece, but there's a lot going on so there's a lot of contribution overall but i think What the challenges are, of course, there are a lot of sourcing challenges. Uh, There is a lot of understanding of what is available locally, what is not, what's happening in local hospitals, you know, the infrastructural issues, Uh, all of that is something that we all are learning together. But what is beautiful is that while we learn all of this, we are able to share this immediately with the larger group, because then they have ideas, they have counter ideas that they can help with, right? So everyone's here to sort of really uh, problem solve very quickly. And I think that's very beautiful. But apart from that, of course, there are multiple challenges. And we're going to have that, obviously, because it's not a simple device. But the fact that we're able to share, we're able to collaborate, we're able to openly work with each other it's changing the agility it's adding speed it's saving time it's also uh, really uh, localizing issues because we are able to understand from different parts of the country what's going on what's not going on what is the real on-ground situation and things like that so it's a very collective sort of um bird eye view of what's going on in local towns and villages of india as
0: well yeah there are a lot of challenges. And when, you know, everyone comes together to solve something, it is really incredible and it feels so empowering too. So as a community, how can we contribute to this initiative?
1: So I think um, everyone, uh, wherever I've been speaking, everyone's been asking me the, how can you contribute? I think one major thing that everybody can do is support makers with the funds that they need because these makers do know how to, you know, make things. They are motivated individuals. These are individuals that are contributing to the community in the times of crisis. And what happens with most of these projects that they don't see the day of light is because there's no funding, you know, and uh, if you don't understand the vision of it, it's completely fine. But I think what the uh, collective and what we're doing with the M19 initiative is very long term, you know, this is sort of not just, you know, contributing in the time of crisis, but you're creating resilience and building capacity to tackle problems of the future as well, because India And the world is not going to face just one pandemic. This is just the beginning of it, right? And what do you do when more such things happen in the future? And if you don't have skills, you don't have the capacity to really look at these problems and solve locally for your community. That's when you stand a chance of not saving people, not saving lives, not contributing in meaningful ways because you don't have the tools, you don't have the equipment, you don't have the skills to contribute. And I feel that what's really, really important at this point is to fund And support with what these makers and the community with whatever that you can, because that's going to build resilience for the future and it's going to create something which is more valuable and more powerful for the fabric of our country. Because uh, when you say make in India, And when you say, uh, you know, what are you making in India, we're not making a lot of things in India, honestly. And this is sort of going to be that grassroots level uh, capacity development that can happen in an open, innovative way where uh, you will see uh, a lot of these motivated individuals coming in and contributing because you're giving them empowerment, you're giving them ownership, you're giving them the tools to really have that confidence to make anything. And I think that all of this sort of boils down to a funding and it boils down to the fact that you know if they're supported or not. And I think if people resonate with it, they need to support these long term, you know, vision around how we can build the fabric of our country. And I think that's the first and the foremost thing that, you know, how one can help.
0: Yeah. As you said, it is really important for us to, you know, start getting in control of the situations and start do something and manufacture something in India. And it is, as you said for a long run and also for means of sustainable ways to face the problems which are coming. And not only this COVID and also the problems which are going to come in the future. Given the situation, every person's heart reaches out to the people who are in need. And we have so many lives uh, which are online because of the lack of resources and lack of you know timing and lack of proper amount of awareness and everything. So while working on projects for the aid, there's always this... Exist pressure because you know each time it gets delayed each time there is more chance that someone might lose their lives or you know someone might lose their chances of getting a healthy life or something and with emotions targets and you know humanity and all the pressure clashing what is that one trait of yours that you think helped uh, you take on this task
1: i think for us just to uh, honestly uh, just keep at it and making uh, because i think that's what we do best and focus on the one skill set that we have is that we do know how to make things and just keep focus on that because there are a lot of variables in the environment. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of uh, uncertainty. There's a lot of things that we don't have a control of. But what we do have control of is we do know certain things. We do have control over our skills. And just focusing on that and uh, sort of disconnecting And focusing on the things that you can do well is, I think, the very important piece that our team and, of course, the collective has been doing very well because you're focused on making something, you're focused on, you know, working on something that works and have that go out and having that clear focus in mind without any distraction without any pressure and just figuring that piece out, I think it's been uh, very important because I think even last year when we were making these shields, we had lines and lines of, you know, police men, doctors actually standing in front of our gates to, you know, pick up these shields. And it was so overwhelming and disheartening to see something like that happening that, you know, you have so many people standing outside your, you know, door, uh, literally uh, begging in tears a lot of times you know and very distressed about the situation and just to you know cut yourself off from that emotion and just focus on the fact that yes we're making these and we need to make these quickly and how can we address those problems I think played a really big part in how we could actually efficiently you know work towards a final goal and you know work towards that so I think that's very key uh because there's a lot that goes on and uh just to focus on what you're good at at the time of crisis and at least, you know, just keep hounding on it. I think is super important.
0: Yeah. So while talking to you right now, you've got that amazing energy and all the ideas here are coming up and you're explaining it in a brilliant way. So what is the source of your energy? Where do you get it from or your inspiration?
1: Well, a source of energy is a lot to do with everybody that I work with, especially our team is extremely Uh, passionate individuals who uh, are very passionate about what they do. And I think uh, what we do have one thing in uh, that really drives us every day in the morning is uh, I think the goal with which we wake up to, you know, uh, work towards a certain spot project or a certain initiative. And this time, I think for the last four weeks, we've not had a break. We literally are working every day of the week. So we're very uh, engrossed into uh, the oxygen concentrators. And what we really want it to uh, do is to go out uh, to hospitals. And, uh, you know, we want to share that knowledge as soon as we can with a lot of people so that, you know, more and more of this can happen with agility, parallelly, Uh, so that we're able to really create impact on the ground as well, apart from just knowledge sharing, but also sort of having them go out. So I think there's a lot that uh, I have to credit uh, the entire community who's really passionate. I think uh, we're very lucky to be surrounded with people who have passion, and I think that's what uh, definitely is the source of my energy.
0: So, you know, when you start spending time with passionate people, you get more energized, you strive more for making things in a very agile way and, you know, in a fast way so that you can do as much as you can. And also, like, what is your advice for the aspiring entrepreneurs, you know, uh, for any situations they face? So what is your kind of advice? What should they do? Or, you know, how should they start?
1: Uh, So, I mean, I honestly, uh, I never thought I'm going to be an entrepreneur in my life because I, uh, you know, I had very traditional way of sort of thinking about how I would work uh, and things like that. Um, In my previous uh, life as well, I worked with a large corporate organization. Uh, I did my business degree. I also went to engineering college. And then I was also working for the government at some point. So uh, I never really had that thing in mind that I would ever be at in a situation where I would be driving a business and of course when uh, when I started working with Makers Asylum with Vebhav and uh, sort of uh, being part of that uh, day-to-day running of a startup and a business there is a lot that goes into being an entrepreneur right there's not just um, having a vision it's about executing the vision it's about keeping everything in mind, Uh, you have new ideas every day, your team needs to support you. Uh, It needs to be financially sustainable, viable. There's so many questions that happen, but I think what really uh, should drive one, and I think I have learned it from all the amazing entrepreneurs that I'm surrounded with, uh, and now that I'm learning with, is that uh, if you do have the passion about something that you love, I think uh, just being resilient, and pursuing it every day of your life i think is is key to how you can make social entrepreneurship really work for yourself because I think if you're really passionate about your idea and if you're really convinced that that is something that uh, needs space in the world, I think what you need to definitely do is uh, make that happen in whatever way with whatever people, your team, everybody needs to be in line with that vision and sort of work towards it. So I think uh, that's super key and being resilient and not being bogged down by, you know, some failures, because that's going to definitely happen every day of your life because it's not that easy, Uh being an entrepreneur. So that's what I've learned at least from uh, all the entrepreneurs that I'm surrounded with.
0: Absolutely. Uh, So are a lot of teenagers out there who have like uh, very different ideas and brilliant ideas which they need to work upon. So how do they start with, you know, what should be their action plan?
1: I think if you have an idea, you should start, if it's a physical product, then you should start making it. If it's a software product, you should start making it. Uh, It's anything that you have, you need to start because if you're just going to sit on your idea, it's never going to happen. So you need to start somewhere. So start making and get out there, uh, reiterate on your idea, reiterate on your design, reiterate on whatever product that you have, but start
0: making. Absolutely. I love the way you said, start making things, you know, we should, until and unless you start, you don't understand it completely. The challenges you're going to face or what you need in everything. That's and so great. what future vision or you know ideas you have for Makers Asylum?
1: Well from a uh, perspective of Makers Asylum of mm-hmm. course like I mentioned earlier we uh, do a lot of work around um, educating uh, capacity building around teaching people how to sort of really break down these things how do you sort of go from ideation to creation so our definite focus in the long run is going to be around that piece of education of course uh, we are also working on a lot of um, online hybrid kind of models because we love making with our hands we're very hands-on and given you know what's happened with COVID and the pandemic it's been tricky to you know sort of use your hands because you're sitting in front of a computer all day right so what we've been working on is uh, a hybrid way of uh, you know integrating our program so we're developing a lot of hardware that can go to people's homes where they can actually use that and you know do a lot of these sessions online with us so it's sort of a mix of Uh, an online plus an offline kind of a way of uh, learning Uh, so we're working a lot on digitizing uh, the thought around how makerspace can be digitized while it's a very physical space how can you create models around uh, you know, creating uh, access for hardware to people at home and how can that be integrated? So we're working a lot on those lines in terms of Makers Asylum's future. How do you create avenues into the online space but still be very physical and hands-on in the way that we, you know, function. Uh, yeah. And then apart from that, uh, we are also working on a lot of uh, product development work that we're doing ourselves in terms of our product lines. We're doing a lot of uh, work around educational kits For children, Uh, we're also working on, of course, a lot of healthcare-related products. Uh, We're hoping to have many more uh, different products in line. So uh, that's going to be one stream of Makers Asylum that we love doing because we love hardware, we love design, we love sustainability. And we want to make sure that we bring in the right kind of products out as well. So product innovation, product development, retail is something that we're also working on. Uh, And then apart from that, of course, just uh, building the community, because through our foundation, we do a lot of work, which is focused around, uh, again, capacity building uh, and how do you teach people? How do you sort of really make all of this knowledge and this whole idea around open innovation, uh, you know, sort of really go deep into the roots of India? And we want to sort of work with collaborators like-minded partners who really understand um, that, you know, how open innovation can be very powerful in this country because, you know, having IPs, having that whole different way of sort of functioning from a perspective of, you know, sharing knowledge and ideas is uh, becoming a little passe. And we want to really drive that whole open innovation movement and through our foundation, that's what we intend to do uh, in the future as well.
0: Absolutely. I think, first of all, all the ideas you have is very cool. And if we can get out, they would be so awesome to do, you know, given the situations to digitalize, you know, the whole makers kind of thing and do send educational sets to everyone. is such a cool thing to do because right now we're all uh, learning from online. We have no hands-on experience and it is really wearing everyone out, you know, to spend everything on online and to not have something to do with, uh, you know, with our hands or, you know, to physically do something is such a horrid feeling. And I think in these times, if we can have hands-on experience while sitting at home, it would be really incredible. If a person were interested in makers us asylum or, you know, want to collaborate in some way, how can they approach? So a couple of things
1: that you can do if you're physically, of course, in Goa, where we are, you can also become a member of our space and come and share tools with us. So you can come and access the space. Uh, but if you're not physically here, you can also be part of our programs online uh, where you can you know learn about various things like 3D printing, you know, virtual reality, electronics, drones, a lot of kind of stuff where we do these programs online. We also do a lot of things. Uh, our flagship program is called the SDG School, which is a social entrepreneurship boot camp where we bring in people from 25 different countries every year to work on the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, so the SDG School actually started back in 2015. And now it's in the sixth year of its running. We used to host this in Mumbai and Paris earlier physically, but now we're doing that virtually as well. So it has an open application actually. Even now we are doing the program in June and then December. So anybody with over the age group of 16 and above uh, can apply for the program it's a social entrepreneurship boot camp where we uh, instill the same ideologies of uh, working collaboratively in an interdisciplinary manner and working on the UNSDGs where we also have a lot of really exciting partners like UNESCO UNDP World Economic Forum and others who are part of our program so it's a two weeks long experiential boot camp but done virtually now to work on the UN SDGs. so that's something that you can be part of as well Uh, and then if you're a company or an organization uh, who resonates with what we do you can also come in on board and be sponsors partners for various other initiatives and projects that we're doing and of course with the m19 initiative as well we're looking for like-minded people to come in and support yeah i think that's about it i think uh And then, of course, you can also shop for our products uh, online so that, uh, I mean, there will a bunch of stuff that we uh, sell on our shop, on our retail page and things like that, where we've developed it at Makers Asylum and people can buy that as well.
0: Yes. Thank you so much, first of all, for joining in this interview and for giving us time and, you know speaking a lot about Makers Asylum and it was really inspirational to learn it from you, you know, from getting from you talking about different things and your ideas and how passionately you talk about Makers Asylum was such a good experience for me. So from everyone who's listening, thank you so much for sharing with us. And I really hope Makers Asylum does so many other things, you know, the whole power of community getting together, doing for the community, for the community is such an empowered thing. And, you know, If we can start building it from there, then I guess India will be one of the most sustainable countries out there. Because right now, the sector which we need to work more is towards sustainability. You know, we have started thinking a lot about sustainability among these years, particularly after seeing the effects of what we have done uh, over the past two to three decades. Right now, we are all moving and working towards sustainability. And I guess this is one of the brilliant ways to work towards it. And thank you so much for taking your time and answering all my questions.